a fire on the mountain burning out of control. The sky set ablaze in all its red and gold. The temperature's rising and the wind is blowing hot. We gotta turn this ship around before we run aground. We gotta turn this ship around before we run aground. Welcome to Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXL AM and FM, streamed live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com, where our shows are also archived for your binge listening pleasure. Listen back to all your favorite Off the Record shows at nhtalkradio.com. And for those computer savvy folks among you, we are podcast on Google, Stitcher, and iTunes. You can join my dozens of listeners listeners around the globe who tune in on the interwebs to Off the Record with Paul Hodes. And I'm joined today by the irrepressible Chris Ryan. Chris, welcome to Off the Record. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here, Paul. So what happened to your Red Sox, Chris? This was not a great season for the uh, the Boston oh, Red Sox. They man. hit, but they didn't have pitching. and fired uh, Dave Dombrowski, the president of baseball operations. They finally had a press conference sort of thing last week to try to explain why that took place, and now they might have to trade Mookie because they screwed up their payroll so badly. Oh, man. That that doesn't... It doesn't sound like the Red Sox. They've always been kind of organized. They've always been in the forefront of smart baseball, and all of a sudden it sounds like there's back office imbroglio, that there's back office kerfuffle, there's back office, back office blackout. I mean... What's what's going on? I, I think that um, they really just haven't had a plan. And, um, you know, you get to a place where you win the World Series, you want to re-sign Nathan Avaldi, who is one of your you know, World Series heroes, but they ended up paying him $60 million, uh, 15 per year. They signed Chris Sale, despite there being obvious signs of to a long-term contract, uh, despite there being obvious signs of, of injury. Um, and now you get into this... Off season, which is prior to Mookie Betts's uh, uh, contract year, he will be an unrestricted free agent after next season, and they want to either re-sign him or get something for him, and they also want to stay below the um, the luxury cap, which is basically a salary cap where you get hit with a, a large luxury tax if you go over it. So yeah, I mean they they made a mistake; they didn't prioritize the right guys, uh, and as a result, you know you have your cornerstone franchise player that you're dangling out there like you're a small market team. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. But the Patriots um, don't seem to be having too much trouble except at at field kicker, at field goal kicker. Um, you know, our, 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 our stalwart, our stalwart, Guskowski, missed four, four extra points. Well, you're not going to have Steven Guskowski to kick around anymore. He's on the injured reserve <laughs> list. Yes, <laughs> he's on the injured reserve. But yeah. he, uh, he was... I was wondering how long it was going to take, but he's he's injured and he's going to be out for the rest of the year. Um, and they're working out a couple kickers, um, you know, as we speak uh, to figure out uh, who's going to be the uh, the field goal kicker moving forward. But the Patriots are just a well oiled machine. Their defense is phenomenal, right? Um, and they still have some questions on the offensive side of of things. So the offensive line is pretty banged up, and for the first time we saw. You know, evidence of how banged up they are and some of the problems that it creates in the run and passing game 
in the game against Buffalo because Buffalo yeah. has a great defense, but they don't have a quarterback that can play. But well, yeah, but look, I mean, what you saw was cracks in the offense. I mean, it it they looked pretty sluggish um, uh, in the first three games. Um, our 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 favorite uh, hero boy looked really sharp mm-hmm. coming out in the in the fourth game. There were passes sailing over people's heads. I mean, it, it was there was there was there was something that just wasn't you know. Yeah, he was feeling a little pressure. He was on all cylinders. Brady, well, yeah, just as any quarterback, you got you know six foot six, three hundred pound dudes coming at you. You're going to have a little bit of happy feet in the pocket. And you're going to want to get rid of the ball quick <laughs> before you get nailed. So Tom Brady is a human being. Um, and so we saw that, you know, he could never really generate any sort of a, um, a rhythm uh, in that game. The Patriots got off to a good start. Um, but you know, after that, it was all downhill. So, but they won 16-10. They did. You know, a win is a win. They're 4-0. They're oh. It gives them a little bit of a, it, it's a good start. It's a better start than they've had in the past couple of seasons, and we're all glad for that. But now let's uh, just turn turn our attention to the sport, the, the, the New Hampshire sport, that is politics. You know, I, I'm always fond of, of, of talking about politics in New Hampshire because we do democracy unlike any other state in the great union of this great country, the United States of America. And we've got the first in the nation primary. Fall is now upon us. It is it is October. The weather has actually begun to turn. The chill, there's a chill in the air. There's a nip. The leaves have begun to turn. The streams are not crackling with energy, but drying up for the winter. The bears are beginning to look for the places to sleep off the long winter. And as the snows gather in the west... And the moose are hanging out in swimming pools. Well, listen, you see I, that? Is that video? Yeah, I did. But not only are the moose hanging out in, in swimming pools where they've been rescued by, by field and game, I was driving up uh, from somewhere, passed through the Hooks Atoll, reached gridlock, everybody's lights were on, dead stop traffic, didn't know what was going on, and then looked over uh, to, to, to the right side of, of the highway, and there was a moose. That's awesome. Walking between the cars. Love like, it. Like, here I am, boys. Bullwinkle is here. And so <laughs> the cars had stopped. The moose crossed and then jumped over the Jersey barrier. Love it. Nobody still Just moved. Still a little steeplechase action a, there. Little steeplechase. You know, like, all he needed was a jockey. Went trotting up the highway to go around the metal barrier, and then I bet that's the guy who ended up uh, in Manchester. Um, you know, and and there are there are moose. Well, I don't want to get into a big debate here about the migration pattern of moose, but it seems like a little bit of a distance to get from Concord to Bedford. No, hooks it to Bedford. That's not that far for a right. moose. Come on, I mean they're they're moose. Listen, they don't stay in kind of the same spot. I don't I don't know how again. I don't know the migration patterns of of moose and. Perhaps we'll have to have a, a guest on to inform us here. But when the, when those guys are looking for gals, who knows? Who knows <laughs> how far they'll go? Is it mating season? <laughs> how far? Who knows how far they'll go? Well, that's that's the thing. You're looking for I mean, the perfect lady, and there's no distance too far. Exactly. We've proven that time and time again. But look, let's talk a little bit about politics. For, in first, you don't want to talk about moose mating more because no, no, I was. I, I, I thought we still had more room to we, cover. That. We do have more to go, but but. You know, I mean, all I can all I can tell you is 
I can only, every time I see a moose, all I think about is Rocky and Bullwinkle. So that's that's my entire reference point. But 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 that brings me, of course, to Boris and Natasha. And and speaking of Boris and Natasha, we of course have the Zelensky tapes. Um, so we're all we're all uh, all agog at what's going on with impeachment. But the first thing I I want to say is is um, I I was uh, I was at the rally for uh, with the SEA at the Rockingham County Nursing Home um, uh, last Monday to support uh, the right of the workers at the Rockingham County Nursing Home to form a union because, you know, three quarters of politics, well, maybe 97 percent, maybe 99 percent of politics is just showing up. So we went down to support and and Bernie Sanders was there with a megaphone rallying the crowd. I said, this is great. We're, we're, in, we're in Brentwood, New Hampshire, and Senator Sanders, you got to give him credit, was there rallying the crowd. He went from there, uh, apparently got on a plane, went to Las Vegas for events, and went from, from there immediately to the hospital. He's had um, uh, heart surgery, and I just want to say how much we wish him yeah. well. Uh, whatever anybody may, whatever position, whatever candidate anybody is for on any side of the aisle, uh, you you know he's suspended his campaign until uh, he recovers. Apparently, and his campaign has said he's going to be back on stage for the debate on the uh, the fifteenth. So well, they've said that he's going to be go. back for that. Well, we 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 of course, and off the record, we wish Senator Sanders all the best. And I'm and 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 I'm even going to refrain from my Sanders impersonation that's good. until that's, he's back. That's, until that's he's probably a good ba- thing. Until he's back yeah. on the trail, yeah. I am going to show uh, extreme restraint. But. But here at home, things have things are are pretty interesting. We now have a state budget. Uh, there was a compromise on the state budget that made everybody. Um, most people were. I don't know. I can't tell whether people are happy or unhappy. Um, the Democrats are now pointing out all the things that the Governor Sununu wanted to cut. Governor Sununu is kind of taking a victory lap, I suppose, at holding out and 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 getting us and getting a state budget. There have been 59 vetoes, none uh, except, as I, re- I think, one, only one um, wa- was overridden. It sets up a lot of issues for uh, the, 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 the upcoming, upcoming election. And, and tell me if I'm wrong. Somebody seems like they've been brushing up on their stuff at the Statehouse. Somebody's brushing up on their stuff on the Statehouse. Yeah. Now, I have seen... Uh, we've known that Dan Feltis is running for governor. We've known that a- I think I-, I think Andrew Valinsky has said he's running for governor. He has not officially said he's running. Yet. He's exploring. Okay, okay, so Andrew's exploring. There's a lot of exploring going on. And Molly Kelly's out. Molly Kelly is out. out. Uh, I saw a picture of Steve Marchand. Has he? What does Steve say? Steve's hanging out with Andrew Yang, he, and he's gonna he's gonna ride the Yang Gang train for as long as he he can. Well, we understand how that works here at right. off the record. We know all about that <laughs> one. <laughs> That's the official philosophy of the uh, the official philosophy of, the off, the of off the record is <laughs> you ride the gravy train till it runs out of steam. <laughs> hang out as long as hang out as long as you can until the right moment appears. Now it's and it's not just about the gravy. Train. I mean, let's say just to say, if a candidate is exploring yeah. the the opportunity to run for office, <laughs> if that is happening, yeah. there's a lot of work to be done sure. before you declare. And and of course, the filing date isn't till 
till June. So it would not be, I think, particularly appropriate of me to dig any deeper into that whole subject, given my position as host of, of Off the Record right. and, my, and, my, and, my, and my current capacity. But there are some uh, interesting races also shaping up uh, for, for the executive council seat, assuming that Andrew Volinsky is going to run, um, there are at least two candidates that I'm aware of for that executive council seat. One being uh, attorney Jay Sertikowski, uh, who is a, an activist and a, um, a terrific guy. He is a lawyer at Sullivan and Hollis, who's uh, been involved in democratic politics for a long time. And the second is um, attorney Cindy Warmington from Shaheen and Gordon, who has been talking about uh, making a run for that office. Uh, so it would be a very a pretty interesting battle between two uh, attorneys from the Concord area for the executive council seat. They're going to have to wait to see whether Andrew Volinsky, who I think is all but inevitable, uh, declares uh, his candidacy um, for uh, for for governor. You think Joyce Craig's going to get into? You know that's it's um, it's that's a sixty four thousand dollar question. There certainly is precedent. Maybe sixteen thousand. Uh, okay. Well, there's certainly there's precedent for Manchester mayor uh, winning re-election and then jumping into the governor's race. That on the Republican side, as I recall, that happened with Ted Gatzis. So it's true. It is possible. Well, listen, it's been really fun, Chris. I, I'm, I always like all mine. talk about sports and democracy, that the two favorite sports here in New Hampshire and our favorite at Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXLAM and FM streaming live at NHTalkRadio.com for your binge listening pleasure. We're going to take a break to hear important words from the station sponsors that help keep us on the air, and we will be back for a really interesting discussion. I can tell you, I, I, it's always interesting to talk to Matt Robeson of a AmorePerfectUnionForum.com. And uh, we will be back after this. Don't go away. Welcome back to Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXLAM and FM, streaming live at nhtalkradio.com, where you can also find us archived for your binge listening pleasure. And for those of you who prefer other kinds of devices than terrestrial radio, we are a podcast on Google, Stitcher, and iTunes. You can find us all over the interwebs. I'm really happy to welcome back a good friend, a good friend of Off the Record, a smart guy, a consultant, a political strategist, and the, the author of a blog, uh, moreperfectunionforum.com. Matt Robeson, welcome back. Thanks. Is anything going on? Well, you know, there's not much going on in the world. Nothing new these days. There's there's a little bit of a kerfuffle down in Washington D.C. Um, that's that seems to be making news these days. It the impeachment process, the impairment process, the impossible apple process, whatever the fruit of the loom 
day it is today down in Washington, D.C. Um, the president is, is, is madly scrambling in all directions. He kind of is acting a bit like a spider who's trapped under a glass, um, crawling up the walls, yelling, screaming, doing, doing his thing. But, you know, I want to dig down with you a little bit into some strategery questions. And the first one I'm going to ask is, should the Democrats have gone down the road of impeachment? Or did they make a historic mistake? I mean, I think the short answer is um, it was probably not the best path, but they may have had to do it. Um, I mean, politically, there's no long-term upside here for the Democrats. And we can talk a little bit more in terms of looking at some of the polling numbers and, and some of what history tells us about the likely trajectory here. And I wrote a piece on on this exact point. If people want to dive a little deeper into the political case, it's on the website. It's called, No Democrats, You Still Shouldn't Impeach. And the upshot is that if you look at each argument for impeachment, sort of point by point, they all come up short. But look, I can understand why they did it. Um, you know, I'm hearing through the Democratic grapevine on Capitol Hill that Speaker Pelosi was really in an untenable position at this point. And she's a really deft reader of Democrats in Congress and across the country. So it's pretty clear that she began to think, if we've got to do this, let's do it now. Let's get it out of the way in the Democratic presidential primary. And then let's be able to move on to issues that are proven winners for us, like uh, talking about health care costs. And I think overall, that's pretty smart. If, if you've got to do it, probably best to to jump in and get it done quickly. Well, that is a somewhat contrary view. And the contrarian view is you shouldn't impeach. You probably shouldn't have. You probably shouldn't be doing it. Um, because to me, it seemed pretty inescapable. I mean, it was it was one thing to deal with the aftermath of the Mueller report um, which which kind of left people, I don't know, some people said, well, the aftermath of the Mueller report was unclear. Uh, there, were, He said no collusion, but he didn't say no obstruction. But his not saying no obstruction, he didn't actually use the words, Congress, it's up to you to impeach. Um, he didn't say, you know, here's here's 10, 11 instances of obstruction of justice that are crystal clear. And except for DOJ, I would have indicted and charged, but I can't. So Congress, go ahead and do your job because these are high crimes and misdemeanors. And because he wasn't so clear, uh, we didn't see uh, centrist Democrats or newly elected Democrats jumping on on the bandwagon of impeachment. It kind of left things hanging. Uh, his testimony produced a collective yawn, it seemed. And so, so, so even those who favored impeachment did not seem to be uh, uh, to pushing it too hard. And certainly Speaker Pelosi, after the Mueller report, wasn't, wasn't jumping up and down about it. And now, however, you've got what is, what is documentary evidence. I mean, you've got it in in writing now we may not have the entire report of the whistleblower it it appears that for a th- reported 33 minute conversation you've got 10 minutes of transcript but putting that aside even what's in there is is pretty clear 
And how, if you are a representative of the people of this country, in the face of that kind of evidence, could you not take action? I mean, this was a president acting with such impunity, such disregard for the norms and the Constitution and his obligation to protect the security and to uh, of the United States and to act in good faith. How could you how could that possibly be ignored? So how in the face of that could you, a really smart guy, suggest that, well, they shouldn't have impeached? What do they what what do you do? I mean, it's not just a legacy matter, but as a practical matter, how 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 do you how what do you do? Just ignore that? It's definitely a tough spot. And I the way I thought about it was if you truly believe, as I do, and you do, that Donald Trump is a threat to this country, he's a threat to American democracy, then you have to only do things that get him out of office as soon as possible and with as little damage to the country as possible. And at the end of the day, impeachment doesn't do that because there's almost zero chance of conviction. Remember, impeachment is just a process. It's like in legal terms entering an indictment. And you bring a case, and then there's a trial in the Senate. And you have to convict with a two-thirds majority, that's 67 senators, with a starting point of 47 Democrats, and not all of them necessarily being locked down as conviction votes. So there's almost zero chance of conviction. And the fear, the risk here, is that impeachment actually increases the chances of Trump winning re-election because it rallies and activates Republicans. I mean, remember that Donald Trump's whole strategy is to draw sharp contrast, to keep his base totally boiling over with anger, and make Republican-leaning independents hold their nose and stand on his side of the divide. And he's totally given up on appealing to swing voters. If you doubt it, just look back at his strategy in the 2018 midterms on all the manufactured crises about caravans and shooting migrants. All of his messaging is stark, wedge-issue stuff. So the bottom line is that impeachment gives Trump a rallying cry. It's a tool for him to motivate Republicans and those Republican-leaning independents. And the risk is that impeachment gives him what he most wants and needs. And there are some other options on the table. There's censure. There's various sanctions against uh, members of his staff. Um, There's continuing uh, the legal cases and, and amping up the pressure there. Not all of those are perfect. But I just think that it's worth bearing in mind, even though that ship has now sailed, that the impeachment road has a ton of potholes in it. Well, you know, I mean, <laughs> the election of Donald Trump is a tank trench, um, not, not a pothole in American history. It's a deep, you know, it's like the continental shelf. You, you, it goes down precipitously and fast. So since 2016, we have been laboring as a nation under the yoke of an authoritarian demagogue. Um, so, you know, I, you could say that it, it took this final push to push Speaker Pelosi over the brink 
um, to to finally agree to impeachment, despite all the calls that have been coming coming her way all along. She's a pretty adept strategist, at least in in my opinion and in my experience. She um, it, she plays she plays chess, not checkers. She, as you said, uh, not only reads tea leaves, but um, really keeps a very very close close count of the caucus and what kind of votes she has or doesn't have, what kind of support there is. Um, you can bet she's kept a close eye on polling about impeachment. And it appears from some recent polling anyway that the public sentiment about impeachment is changing. It, it appears from some recent polling that that the, this revelation of the of the call with the Ukrainian president um, uh, asking the president of Ukraine to do him a favor and and uh, and and work with Rudy Tudi Giuliani and uh, no holds barred bar to go after Joe Biden the his his main political rival uh, really just was is something that the public understands it appears uh, that public sentiment has begun to shift. Do is do you agree or or don't you? Well, um, yes, I do agree. Although I'm a little bit worried about how lasting an effect there is and what's really going on under the surface of those numbers. So you're totally right that we've now seen about eh, three or four polls that all show an approximate 8 to 10 point jump in support for impeachment. The thing is, most of that increase is coming from Democrats who are sort of consolidating now that the leadership of the party has taken an action. You know, you're sort of seeing a rallying there. Um, They're sort of coming home around it. Um, And that makes some sense. Uh, You kind of see a similar pattern um, in polling around other events. Um, So that would would make sense as as a pattern. But you're also seeing much more modest increases in support for impeachment out of independents and Republicans. Um, you know, and so I, I think that's a little bit troubling. I mean, you still see opposition to impeachment at 90 percent among Republicans who say that they're spending a lot of time paying attention to the news. The other thing, and, and not to get into um, polling weeds, but just as a an interesting little weird quirk in the way public opinion surveys work is that there's a well-documented effect that when big news like impeachment happens that revs up one side more than the other, people on that side can become more likely to respond to polls, and that can create some very subtle biases in the results. And even if that doesn't happen, you know, big news sort of stirs the pot in weird ways as voters try and assimilate new information and think about how it, it sort of reflects out in their worldview. So, you know, if you, if you really dive in, for example, to the polling around the Kavanaugh hearings a year ago, you see this initial bump, and it, it's across the board, um, in support for Donald Trump that persisted for two weeks after the Blasey Ford Kavanaugh hearing. And then it kind of returned back to historic patterns for Trump and for support for the Republican Party. So there's a real chance here 
that we're going to see a similar thing happen here. I would just caution everyone to not draw any firm conclusions uh, until we've had a few more weeks for this story to unfold. Well, the interesting thing about an impeachment inquiry that that is uh, an inquiry uh, that has the support of the Democratic leadership and has the force of persuasion of the Democratic leadership and a unified message around it um, is, I think, is not to be underestimated because now that you basically have the Democratic caucus unified in the House of Representatives um, and uh, the, uh, that caucus and its members speaking with one voice, um, with whatever we, we, with whatever caution we always put on the ability of Democrats to message, at least you've got a unified, unified message about impeachment coming from House Democrats, and that um, that may have some uh, beneficial effect on the public opinion. The other thing that I, I you, you've got to you've got to recognize is that. Um, you've got a a a un, unanimous vote, if I recall correctly, in the Senate to call for the release of the whistleblower complaint. For those folks who are listening, um, way back when it must be a whole week ago now, maybe maybe more, um, when we learned there was a whistleblower complaint. Uh, originally, the uh, administration tried to prevent. The release of of that of that complaint, there was a unanimous call by the Senate to release the complaint. The whistleblower complaint came out. It tracked what would later, uh, by a day or two, be released as the partial uh, memorandum of the transcript of the call. Uh, there was a, a a a strong consistency there. In addition to that unanimous Senate action, which, of course, required Republicans, uh, you have Mitt Romney, um, no stranger to presidential politics, uh, now a senator, um, uh, simply, um, I mean, taking taking a, a, a pretty strong stand about the conduct. Um, at, so at least one Republican senator um, with a with with a strong and we'll see how influential a voice um, is not towing what is now the Trump party line. What do you think? Well, I'll just give you one scary number from um, a poll that came out yesterday from Morning Consult, uh, which runs a really uh, a well done poll, um, and it shows that forty nine percent of Republicans say that this is and this is the wording of the poll itself. Literally, nothing Trump could do that would cause him them to support removing him from office. Um, you know, that's the same poll that's showing that among Republicans who, in their own description, are paying a lot of attention to all of this, 90% still oppose impeaching him. So, I mean, look, I think that there's caution all around here. We don't know how a story like this will unfold. As you say, you know, there is an opportunity here for Democrats to sort of make their case to the American people. To And there's a lot that we don't know. Um, as you say, there's a lot of this. This isn't a transcript of the call. Um, you know, and so there may be more details that are that are damning in here. Hey, Matt, but as things stand, let me, uh, I do think we're going to have we're going to see things kind of going back to their 
to their their baseline position. So hold on to that thought, because we're going to take a short break. It's off the record with Paul Hodes. I'm talking with Matt Robeson, the author of AmorePerfectUnionForum.com, a tremendous blog. Uh, Matt is a smart guy and digs deep into what's the dark underbelly of politics. But we're going to take a short break here on WKXLAM and FM, streamed live at NHTalkRadio.com. We'll be back after this. We're back. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXLAM and FM, streaming live at NHTalkRadio.com, podcast on Google, Stitcher, and iTunes. We're talking with Matt Robeson, the author of the More Perfect Union Forum.com. Matt has been uh, a friend and a guest on this program because he's one smart guy who digs down underneath the surface of what's going on in politics to really take a look at what is really happening. We've been talking about the impeachment process that's going on, the risks, the rewards, the benefits, if any. Uh, Matt is expressing some caution for Democrats around impeachment. Matt, let me ask you this. Don't don't you think that that this um, uh, impeachment inquiry could serve to significantly motivate uh, Democrats and um, even uh, uh, be no matter what the outcome is, serve as a rallying point, a rallying cry, uh, and an organizing tool to uh, to uh, make sure that we get out the Democratic vote that needs to come out. That's a good question, and you know, look, I don't want to be entirely negative about the effects of, from a political standpoint, going down this road for Democrats. So I, I do think it should be pointed out that there are some positives. Here. Again, I'm speaking purely politically. Um, I think, you know, from my own personal perspective, there would be a lot of positives to um, removing Donald Trump from office. But, you know, purely politically, the impeachment question has sort of hung over the Democratic presidential primary. Um, it's been an ongoing uh, looming cloud over Democrats in swing districts who are being pulled by some portions of, of their base um, and also by concern about what uh, an impeachment would mean for them. So I think there are some benefits for Democrats in clearing that away and clearing it away early uh, in the process. We're still more than a year out from the 2020 election. But in terms of your specific question, um, I don't think that the evidence is there in terms of motivating uh, Democrats and producing much of an electoral advantage. And I think there are you know, two quick points of evidence on that. One is that we know from polling that the Democratic base is already super motivated to beat Donald Trump. That's why there was totally historic Democratic turnout in 2018, and projections on turnout for 2020 are already uh, uh, pegged to have turnout as the highest in a century. So with motivation already that high, it's just hard for me to think about how an impeachment, especially one that fails and, and ends up in acquittal, would drive even more base motivation. Then you could look at swing voters, and I guess the only thought that I would offer there is, and I, I want to credit some analysis from Lene Erickson from the think tank Third Wave, did a really fantastic piece on this, and about 90% of the Democratic vote increase from 2016, where Democrats lost, to 2018, where 40-seat bump in the House, came from flipping Trump voters, turning around 
Trump voters from 2016 to 2018. And how did it happen? Because in 2018, Democrats focused on mainstream economic issues, specifically health care, and they ran some very moderate candidates in swing districts. So, you know, when you, when you add that to the fact that swing voters have pretty consistently expressed concern or disapproval of impeachment in surveys, it's just hard for me to make an argument that it's, it's better to move off of that proven kitchen table issue strategy in 2018 to this more unproven and maybe even contraindicated strategy in 2020. What's underneath the resistance? What has been underneath the resistance to impeachment? And what do you think might change for the swing voters uh, now that the impeachment is going forward based on, uh, let's call it, clear and convincing documentary evidence? You know, I think what's underneath it is the same kind of theme that you and I have talked about previously is the the polarization in American politics, um, the two parties sort of drawing um, people sort of by, uh, literally, if you think about polls and sort of a magnetic attraction, drawing people toward each poll uh, and, and, and opposite polls. And um, a, a disappearing, decreasing segment of, of swing voters. Um, you know, and I think that that has created a prism through which every issue is viewed for most voters. It used to be that people might have sort of a cultural affinity for one party, but it was more like they'd have a cultural affinity based on what your parents were like, where you grew up, for being more of a, uh, a conservative or a liberal. And there used to be liberal Republicans and, and more conservative Democrats. But now... Um, that's not so much the case at all. People have an affinity for a party, um, and they tend to glom on policy preferences and um, uh, preferences for what actions they want government to take based on the position of the party. It's the party first and your your positions after. I think that's the lens that's really driven the, the perceptions on impeachment. That's why you've seen this very stable polling that basically says, Republicans are dead set against it. Democrats are generally for it, although with caution, because they fear the political consequences and sort of motivating Republicans. Well, you know, I'm 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 always an advocate for not um, for taking for taking a caution into account, but not necessarily letting fear guide your guide your conduct. Um, and when it comes to protecting the democracy and holding this criminal president accountable. Um, if I were still in Congress, I think I'd be a strong voice for impeachment. Um, you know, I mean, I, I took a position back in 2010 on health care that, that uh, we were all pretty sure was going to be a, uh, a, a, a tough sell when it came time to the election I was facing. Um, you know, you like to think that principle... Uh, principle is important in your elected representatives. And I think protecting our democracy and using the tools to hold this president accountable are really important, uh, both practically and historically. But so, so given that, that that we're now in this, 
What do Democrats do? How should they proceed? Should they should this should this all be dragged out uh, for a year and two months and until um, election day? Should it happen as quickly as possible? Um, how 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 firm a stand do Democrats take about getting every last scrap of paper and every document they need? Um, should they ram it through or should they just let it take its natural course? Well, I think you're totally right that, um, you know, just because one is thoughtful and cautious doesn't mean that you shouldn't be strong and bold when the time is right. You know, once you've made your decision to go, go. And, and, you know, in fact, among professional poker players, there's a strategy called tight aggressive, meaning you're cautious. You don't get into things unless you're really willing to go all the way and, and push all your chips in. But once you do... Um, you go all the way. And I think that's a pretty good guide for, you know, what you're suggesting, what Democrats should do here. Um, First of all, as usual, I think Nancy Pelosi is handling this very deftly. Uh, She's already identified the need to move fast. She'd like to get all this wrapped up by Thanksgiving. That may be unrealistic, but um, that's the right idea. Move fast. Get it done this year. That's number one. Number two, pick one message. And Democrats are strongly leaning toward um, really keeping the focus on Ukraine. I'd personally be fine with making it 90% Ukraine with 10% of, you know, there's a pattern here. So it's, you know, first Trump asked Russia to attack our country's elections, and now, as president, he told Ukraine to attack our country's elections or else. It's about abuse of power, national security, and corruption. Um, and that's going to require discipline for Democrats not to go off in six different directions. You know, the third thing I'd say is set expectations. Don't make this about... Um, we have to have acquittal for it to be the right path to take. As you just eloquently laid out, I think we should set expectations that acquittal is coming because the Republicans are going to put party over country. But we're laying out a case for the real jury, which is the American people, that's going to get to decide in 2020. And then finally, once you do get through it and it's done, pivot hard to the, the, the playbook that you know works, focusing on winning middle-class issues, and move on aggressively with that. That, that. That's what I think they should do. So one thing you said and something I've been thinking about, and and I, I agree with you about a tight, aggressive strategy. I agree with you about moving hard and fast. I agree with you that it would be beneficial to get it up, get it on, and get it over. Uh, whatever whatever happens, right? without the expectation that you're going to move Republicans, without the expectation that you're going to get a conviction in the Senate, but laying out the case for the American people so that it highlights the um, the corruption and criminality in the White House as a basis, but not the focus of uh, the effort uh, towards 2020. Um, how do you how do you do that? I mean, how do you, how do you, how do you make that, how do you, how do you construct that pivot? Is it just in the speed with which uh, the Democrats act? I mean, if, I I don't think it's realistic to have this whole thing wrapped up uh, by Thanksgiving. Uh, That, that's, you know, I mean, I, I just don't think it's realistic. You've got holidays, you've got all that coming, um, you've got evidence, you've got fights over documents. I, I'm not sure that's realistic. And remember that this is also happening in the, in the, in the, uh, in the light of a fast appro- now fast approaching uh, Democratic primary. 
um, which is scheduled for February. So it's probably more realistic to say, wrap this up by February, and that's when we make our pivot. Uh, Because uh, right now, the primary looks like at the top, very top, it's um, people are saying it's a two-person primary with Senator Sanders having been uh, sidelined for at least a few weeks with medical problems. So we're going to see how this all plays out. Uh, Matt, uh, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks so much for having me. We'll uh, keep a close eye on it. We've been talking with Matt Robeson, the author of a more perfect union forum.com, a blog on what's really going on in politics here on Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXL AM and FM, streamed live at nhtalkradio.com, podcast at Google, Stitcher, and iTunes. We'll be back after this to wrap up this edition of Off the Record with Paul Hodes. Don't go away. WKXLAM and FM streaming live at nhtalkradio.com. Well, what a day, what a day it's been. Chris Ryan and I got to do a little jawboning about sports, our favorite teams, the Red Sox. Oh, what a season, what a disaster. And the Patriots looking good in the first three games, a little bit slowed down in the fourth, but 4-0 and oh so far, but losing Gostkowski, the kicker to the injured reserve list. And we had a great talk with Matt Robeson, an educated and informed discussion about impeachment, what it might mean for Democrats. I want to thank all of you for listening. Come back next week for more Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXLM and FM, streaming live at nhtalkradio.com. It's been my pleasure. We'll see you next week for more Off the Record with Paul Hodes.